You're listening to the Life Tree Church Sermon of the Week. We pray that as you hear this word, you would be encouraged and inspired as you pursue Jesus in your everyday life. Good morning, Life Tree. So we're picking up in the middle of uh, Daniel chapter 3, and what's gone before us is uh, this uh, golden statue, 90 feet tall, was, was made. So we're, you know, we're talking uh, more than four times the height of this, uh, of this room. And uh, when the band started playing, everyone was supposed to bow down to the golden statue. There are three, three young men who didn't. The news got to the king, and this is where we begin. And Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the image of gold I have set up? Now, when you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music, if you are ready to fall down and worship the image I made, very good. But if you do not worship it, you will be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. Then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar was furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and his attitude toward them changed. He ordered the furnace heated seven times hotter than usual and commanded some of the strongest soldiers in his army to tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and throw them into the blazing furnace. So those men, wearing their robes, trousers, turbans, and other clothes, were bound and thrown into the blazing furnace. The king's command was so urgent and the furnace so hot that the flames of the fire killed the soldiers who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and these three men, firmly tied, fell into the blazing furnace. But wait, the story does not end there. Then King Nebuchadnezzar leaped to his feet in amazement and asked his advisors, uh, were, weren't there three men that we tied up and threw into the fire? They replied, uh, certainly, your majesty. He said, uh, look, I see f four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed, and the fourth looks like a son of the gods. Nebuchadnezzar then approached the opening of the blazing furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, 
Come out. Come here. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire. And the sea traps, prefects, governors, and royal advisors crowded around them. They saw that the fire had not harmed their bodies, nor was a hair on their heads singed. Their robes were not scorched, and there was no smell of fire on them. Then Nebuchadnezzar said, Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and rescued his servants. They trusted in him and defied the king's command and were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any god except their own god. Therefore, I decree that the people of any nation or language who say anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego will be cut into pieces and their houses be turned into piles of rubble, for no other God can save in this way. Thank you, John. Just got to grab my iPad. It was low on battery. It's charging right here. We've been going the last couple of weeks in this portion of the scriptures that touch on this time period when God's people were in exile. They got taken from Jerusalem to Babylon, right? And this is a portion of scripture often called the exilic literature. It's the part where they're in exile, believe it or not. <laughs> and, uh, and why we're looking at this is because we live in a time, would you agree that's, sorry, very similar um, what was going on for these guys is they came from a culture in Israel, in Judah, in the city of Jerusalem. There was a culture that was built on this idea of monotheism, one true God. And they got brought to Babylon, what we would call today, very much like our society, a pluralistic society. A society made up of peoples from all around the world with different gods, different beliefs, different moralities, all this sort of stuff that they follow. And you could say like the mantra of pluralism is this. Believe whatever you want. Worship however you want. As long as you keep it to yourself. And it doesn't get in the way of you following our agenda. Would you agree? Is that similar to our day? And so we've been asking this question, like, how do we live in a pluralistic society like that, engage with it, but not necessarily assimilate to it? We talked a couple weeks ago about being of a different spirit, like we read about in the book of Daniel, a spirit that's honorable, a spirit that has this confidence, right? A spirit to serve. And we looked last week at the command from the prophet Jeremiah to these people in that day. And the command was to move into the city, to engage with it, to serve it, to work and pray for its good. And so these are some of the ways that we can not assimilate, right? Be of a different diet spiritually and intellectually. Actually position ourselves to work and pray for the good of a city and a society. And another way that we can see very clearly in this story how we don't assimilate is simply don't bow down to the spirit of the age. 
There is, there is a temptation to bow down to the spirit of the age. And the spirit of the age really is this thing that, you know, believe whatever you want. Serve whatever God you want. Just keep it to yourself. And don't let it obstruct the agenda. Don't let it conflict with it. I'll point out to highlight the fact that Nebuchadnezzar's golden image that he set up has no name. I actually believe it was very ambiguous on purpose. Because Nebuchadnezzar knew that there was a people in the land who had all sorts of gods that they worshipped, all sorts of beliefs, all sorts of morality. And he's saying essentially like, hey, you can, you can have all that, but let's all bring it under this one thing right here. This ambigu- ambiguous, unnamed image of gold that's set up. And you get it today, right? The very common idea of, well, you got your truth, I got my truth, your truth, your truth, your truth, your truth, it's all true, it's all good, right? Very ambiguous. And as Jesus' followers, we follow one who actually referred to himself as the truth, the way, the truth, and the life. This is not a popular belief. Can I get an amen? An agreement. You guys know this, right? And yet we live in this society, and we're called to to love that society. We're called to serve it, to pray for its good. I got a problem with my microphone? Yeah? But one of the ways that we can do that and continue operating and being of a different spirit starts with what we see with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, where they're like, we won't bow down. And I want to talk to you today about a few things we can see from this passage. The comfort of conformity, calm confidence, focused faith, and our friend in the fire. The comfort of conformity. You realize it would have been very comfortable for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to conform. Like, it's really clear. Hey, guys, if you'll just bow down to this thing, I won't throw you in the blazing furnace. It's like, hey, that sounds like a good deal. (laughs) No, that sounds a lot better uh, than going in the furnace. And yet they had in them just this resistance that said, no, I will not bow down to this idol. And I want to say to you that following Jesus will at some point lead you into social pressure or rejection. The Bible uses a word often called persecution. And sometimes I think we throw that word around loosely today, but I will say to you that um, it's a reality of following Jesus. And oh, how we love to be liked. I got any people who love to be liked in the room, if you're really honest. You just want everybody to like you and to get along and not offend and not push any buttons. And we get sometimes, like I even think, the the messages we've been looking at the last two weeks that are like, hey, we're going to be of a different spirit. We're not going to be like people of protest and anger and all riled up. We're going to be a people marked by mercy. We're going to be a people marked by leaning in and moving into the city and doing good and serving it. And we get this idea that if we'll do that, if we'll be more like Jesus, maybe the society will like us more. Maybe we'll gain a little more favor. And I'll say to you that, that it's true. Some will. Jesus went about doing good, destroying the works of the devil, healing the sick, right? Casting out demons, feeding the poor, 
embracing the outcast, forgiving the sinner. And there were people who loved him, but there were also people who hated him. So it's not like, uh, hey, be more like Jesus and you'll just be buddies with everybody. That's just not the message of the gospel. And sometimes I think that there are some often overlooked scriptures. Like, we could, we could probably spend 30 minutes just reading through scripture the New Testament today about the promise of suffering for the name of Jesus. But I'll just give you a few. 2 Timothy 3.12 says this, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Period. Not like, there's, there's kind of no, there's no out. It's like, you know, this comes with the territory. I feel the room get really like, when you, when you read that scripture. Just read it from the Bible. 2 Timothy 3.12. John 15, Jesus says, remember what I told you, a servant is not greater than his master. If the world hated me, they're going to hate you too. And listen to this one that Jesus says in Luke 6, 26. Woe to you when everyone speaks well of you, for that is how their ancestors treated the false prophets. Woe to you when everybody speaks well of you. Like if everybody's speaking well of you, it's supposed to be a little, a little check. Like, whoa, what's going on? What am I doing wrong? <laughs> you know, like, like where have I gone off track maybe? Now as we go into this and I say this to you, I will say there are multiple paths to suffering. There's multiple paths to rejection and social pressure. And one of them is following Jesus. Another one of them is being a jerk. Okay, so, so there's, 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 there's various reasons why you may be experiencing social pressure and rejection, and we will trust the Holy Spirit to lead you and guide you into understanding why that may be happening. But I, I remember I saw a book that a friend of mine recommended a few years ago, and it had all like blue and red all over it very intentionally, you know, blue and red's all about, right, politically speaking. And, and it was a book written to the church, and the title was, Thou Shalt Not Be a Jerk. And I think we need to hear that message in this day. But I feel like this thing, my spirit to speak into today, where it's like, don't buy into the idea that if we just go about doing good works and loving on the city and praying for its good and all this, that everybody's going to pat you on the back and love you for it. When you stand with Jesus... When you follow Jesus, he will inevitably lead you into some persecution. So in this, we may say that if there's a lack of that in your life, a lack of suffering for the name of Jesus, it might be because you've assimilated to the culture. But just because there's the presence of it in your life isn't a sure thing you're following Jesus. It may be because you're aggressive and antagonistic. So we're seeking constantly to follow the spirit of Jesus, the way of Jesus. You guys with me? So just to summarize that comfort of conformity part, it's like, in the words of Paul, Everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. 
It comes with the territory of following Jesus. And I think sometimes we really need to hear it, especially as Westerners. I've heard this said of anthropologists before and sociologists say that no other people in the history of the world and cultures is less prepared for suffering than Westerners in today, today's world. We live in such a comfortable society, and I'm grateful for it. But because we are so comfortable, we, we know how to eat right, stay healthy, like build these perfectly efficient houses that barely any of the elements from outside get into, right? Like it's just so comfortable. We're not very prepared for hardship and difficulty. So that said, what can we learn from these guys in this story that John read to us? What can we take from how they walked it out and what happened to them. I would say to you that sometimes there's been too simplistic of a lesson learned from this story. You may remember it if you grew up in Sunday school, and it's essentially like this. If you will be brave and trust God and commit to honor him, he will deliver you from hardship. That's too simplistic. Was Jesus brave? Did Jesus trust God? Did Jesus honor God in his ways? Did it all go well for Jesus? He was not delivered from hardship. He walked into the worst of it. Yes, he came out the other side, risen from the dead, but he hung on a cross. He died a brutal death. And so I just want to look at some of these things that we can see in Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's story that we also see in Jesus. And I would say that they had a calm confidence in the moment. You can see them when Nebuchadnezzar comes where John picked up the story and the verse before that actually didn't get read is it said he was furious and his attitude toward them changed, you know. And, and he came and he said to them, like, guys, Come on, bow down, that simple, let's do it. And they say to him this amazing statement. King Nebuchadnezzar, we don't need to defend ourselves to you in this matter. I find it amazing that they address him as King Nebuchadnezzar. There's still this posture where they recognize who he is. There is a recognition of the authority. There's a recognition of who he is. There's still an honor towards him. And yet they say, we don't need to defend ourselves to you in this matter. They didn't run away. They didn't hide. They also didn't bow down. They didn't petition. They didn't protest. They didn't defend themselves. They simply stood before him and said, we don't need to bow to you. I think there was something in them where they understood the end game. Where, where, where God ultimately will have his way. And we'll hear about that in the next bit of the reading. But any of you ever, like, let's say you wanted to watch a sports final game and you had to record it because you weren't going to be there at the right time to watch it live, and then somehow, some way, you see the score beforehand, you know how the game ends. Can anybody relate to that? And, and what happens when you know this is it totally changes the way you experience the game. Now, for most of us, it ruins it. <laughs> it's like, ah, it takes all the fun out of it. 
But what I'm getting at is that, is that if your team you're cheering for, you know that they won the game. Every time they're maybe behind in the game or there's a bad call against them or, or anything like that goes down, you're not shaken by it. You know what's going to happen. And I believe that these guys, they had a confidence in the end game. Knowing who had the end game in his hands. And when you understand that, you can actually be right in that midst of pressure and live with that resistance to bow and to conform. Anybody who's tried to run a business and honor God and his ways and how they run their business probably knows about the pressure that can come. There's so many options and opportunities to take shortcuts, to, to, to not be totally honest on things, and to make a little more money. To actually honor God and his ways in that situation may actually lead to some losses. It might be a more difficult path. Or maybe your refusal to enter into gossip about people or cutting down some of our leaders leads to you being held at a distance in certain relationships. Or common one today, maybe you holding to Jesus' idea of sexual ethics and today leads to some ridicule and some rejection and some misunderstanding about you as a person. But guess what Jesus said? Blessed are you when they persecute you, insult you, and falsely say all kinds of evil about you for my sake. In other words, bless you when they lie about you, when they misrepresent you. When you're misunderstood, when you're taken the wrong way for my sake, blessed are you. Great is your reward in heaven. Jesus is so weird, right? It's like this totally different view of how we live in the world and who we are. But we can live with this calm confidence knowing that God's got it figured out. He's got the end game under control. That he's going to make all wrongs right. That all untruths will be shown to be untrue. Lies will be set straight. God's got it. Where do you think this calm confidence flowed from for them? I'm going to go into the next part. It's focused faith. You read, this is a very well-known passage. I want to read it again. And it's verses 18 and 19, I believe. And it says, if we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it. And he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. Again, your majesty's hand in the midst of this. It's amazing. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. And I want to say to you that the focus of their faith was not on a specific outcome or their agenda of what they wanted to happen in that moment. The focus of their faith was on God himself, who he is and what he's like. And sometimes we get our faith more wrapped up in what we believe should happen in a situation rather than on the God who we trust. But when our faith is focused on him, it allows you to be in that pressure, in that situation, whether it's rejection, whether it's misunderstanding, whatever it may be, 
and know he's with you. Know he's got it. So just ask you, how often is your faith simply focused on God himself or on the outcome that you think should happen? And the more that we will allow our faith to grow in the nature of who God is and what he is like and get anchored into that, you have built into you the capacity to not bow. And the sad reality is, and maybe some of you can relate to this, is that there's many people who I have seen and maybe you have seen over the years who turn away from the Lord because of a difficult thing that takes place in their life. Or there's too much social pressure just to to walk with him. And they turn their back on the Lord. That is a reality. Peter exhorted us. He said, don't be surprised when suffering comes, when fiery trials come your way. Don't be surprised as though some strange thing has happened to you. This is par for the course of walking with Jesus. Not a popular message, I know. Again, not licensed to be a jerk. If you read on in Peter's writings shortly after he says that, he talks about it's good to suffer as a Christian, but not as a murderer, not as an evildoer, and he lists off all these things that you could do bad again. Thou shalt not be a jerk. Follow Jesus. So their faith is focused on the one, not on necessarily the circumstance and the outcome. May it be so for us. I want to talk to you about our friend in the fire. I want to bring your attention to the very end of what John read to us, and it's when Nebuchadnezzar, who who clearly isn't quite getting it yet, he's like, whoever doesn't worship this God, we're going to cut them to pieces and tear down their houses. He hasn't, it's still just Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's God, not Nebuchadnezzar's God yet. But he says this, he makes a statement at the end, no other God can save in this way. In what way? How did he save? God could have just put the fire out. God could have teleported Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego back to Jerusalem. God could have made them invisible. That's not how he saved them. How did he save them? In the fire with them. He was in the fire with them. He let the men up in it and he met them there. This portion of scripture by some theologians is often referred to as a Christophany, that's a theological term for where Christ himself shows up and appears. What does Nebuchadnezzar say? He looks like one of the sons of the gods. Their God sent his angel to be with them. There's lots of places in the Old Testament where we hear about an angel, 
or we hear about Gabriel or Michael. But there's other places where we hear about the angel of the Lord or this, his angel. And it's believed by many to be that this is actually Jesus, the incarnate Jesus, the Christ in the flesh, showing up prior to his full earthly life. Whether that be the reality or not, this is Jesus' way. Jesus' way is that he enters into our suffering with us. Jesus' way is that he clothes himself in human flesh and lives with us and suffers like us and is tempted like us and lives in the same sort of pressures of the same world that we live in. He's with us. He suffered rejection. He suffered ridicule. He suffered false accusation and lies and misunderstanding about him without defending himself, even to the point of death. And, and Paul describes something of his experience in relationship with Jesus. He, this well-known phrase, Paul talks about the fellowship of his sufferings. There is a fellowship with Jesus that is unique to the place of being misunderstood for the sake of the gospel, being falsely accused, being rejected, and being ridiculed for it. And I really believe, not to be all like doomsday and dark and whatever, but like I really believe that we need to know this if we want to go the distance with Jesus in our world today. But if in the fire is where Jesus is, where would you rather be? With Jesus, there's no better place. You know that even in the New Testament writings, there's very little talk about going to heaven. There's talk about going to be with Christ. With Christ is the place to be. Whether it leads to popularity or persecution, with Christ is the place to be. I wonder, this is, this is total speculation, but it's worth it. We don't really hear from Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego after what they say to King Nebuchadnezzar. The rest of the, the, the talk and the speech within the story is all coming from King Nebuchadnezzar about what he's seeing and about what's happening, and he addresses them. And I love even this part that they don't actually come out of the fire until Nebuchadnezzar says, hey, guys, come over here. They just, just hang out with Jesus in the fire. And here's my speculation. Or maybe we could just say a question. Did they see him in the fire before they went in? Could Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego see him before anyone else could? Whether or not they could is beside the point, but it's a good question. One thing I do know is they experienced an encounter with God unlike any they probably had ever had in their life in the fire. Whether it's Jesus or God's personal angel, whatever that may mean, they have this radical encounter 
unlike they had ever had before in the fire. And I would say to you that there is a meeting with Jesus available to us in resisting conformity, resisting to bow down, calm confidence and a focused faith. That you can go into the hardship, you can go into the misunderstanding, and you can carry on in a different spirit. You can continue in that place, working and praying for the good of our city. So the invitation today in this message and, and, and looking at what we've been talking about over the last few weeks is not just simply, hey, suffer for Jesus and it's going to be awesome for you. It's like, no, there is a meeting and an encounter with you and Jesus in that difficulty. And the difficulty is not something that we allow to stop us from being of a different spirit. We don't just wave our persecution and suffering flag as some sort of noble badge of honor. It's just something that we continue on in the midst of doing good, praying blessing, working for the benefit of our city, even in the face of rejection and misunderstanding. Even when people don't get us and they, and they think you're a bigot or they think you're whatever they may say about you that you know isn't true about what's in your heart, you continue to serve, you continue to love, you continue to pour out your life for the good of a city. Can I get an amen? amen. Thanks, guys. So I want to pray for us, and we're going to carry on eating some food. Oh, we have an announcement. Hold on, please, patience. Hey, we got somebody else who wants to get baptized. Come on. You know who you are, so come on up. That's perfect, because I meant to say something about baptism. So before, before we go into that, I want to say to you this. These are the words of Paul. Jumping back into the sermon here for just a minute. Persecution, ridicule, misunderstanding, still doing good. Paul says this, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. There is a long road that we're called to walk with Jesus of pouring out our lives for the good of others. The Jesus who prayed, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do, while they nailed him to a cross. That's our Jesus. And there is an invitation to know him in a special way, in a culture that doesn't look fondly upon him and his ways. So I'm going to ask you guys to stand, and I'm going to pray. And then we're going to baptize Francis Muyaba. Come on, Francis. And we're going to sing and shout and do some celebration. So, Lord, I ask that you would continue to build into us, your people, your spirit, your way. Your way that is relentless in love, relentless in pursuit, relentless in serving. 
And Lord, that we would be a people marked by this overflowing hope like Telsey spoke of. God, a kindness, a gentleness, a peace, and a patience, even when we're misunderstood. We ask you to be a people filled with your spirit in this day. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Life Tree Church Sermon of the Week. At Lifetree, we are a family all about declaring and displaying Jesus to transform lives and benefit our city. If you'd like to find out more about Lifetree, you can find us online at lifetree.ca.